Part two, chapter seventeen of the story of the Barbary Corsairs by Stanley Lane Poole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White. Chapter seventeen The Triumph of Sales, seventeenth century. At the beginning of the seventeenth century, a notable change came over the tactics of the Corsairs. They built fewer galleys and began to construct square sailed ships. In Algiers, Tunis, and Tripoli, the dockyards teemed with workmen busily engaged in learning the new build, and the honor, if such it be, of having taught them rests apparently between England and Flanders. Simon Dancer, the Flemish rover, taught the Algerines the fashion of round ships in 1606, and an Englishman seems to have rendered the same kind office to the people of Tunis, aided by a Greek renegade, Memi Rees where moreover another english pirate captain were was found in congenial company at the goletta by monsieur de brevet the french ambassador the causes of the change were twofold first christian slaves were not always to be caught and to hire rowers for the galleys was a ruinous expense and secondly the special service for which the smaller galleots and brigantines were particularly destined the descents upon the spanish coasts was to some degree obstructed by the final expulsion of the last of the Moors from Andalusia in 1610. That stroke deprived the corsairs of the ready guides and sympathizers who had so often helped them to successful raids, and larger vessels and more fighting men were needed if such descents were to be continued. Moreover, the Barbary rovers were ambitious to contend with their old enemies for golden treasure on the Spanish main itself. The science of navigation was fast developing and they felt themselves as equal to venturing upon long cruises as any european nation now a long cruise is impossible in a galley where you have some hundreds of rowers to feed and where each pound of biscuit adds to the labor of motion but sails have no mouths and can carry along a great weight of provisions without getting tired like human arms so sails triumphed over oars the day of the galley was practically over and the epoch of the ship had dawned. As early as 1616, Sir Francis Cottington reported to the Duke of Buckingham that the sailing force of Algiers was exciting general alarm in Spain. The strength and boldness of the Barbary pirates is now grown to that height, both in the ocean and the Mediterranean seas, as I have never known anything to have wrought a greater sadness and distraction in this court than the daily advice thereof their whole fleet consists of forty sail of tall ships of between two and four hundred tons apiece their admiral flagship of five hundred they are divided into two squadrons the one of eighteen sail remaining before malaga in sight of the city the other about the cape of st maria which is between lisbon and seville that squadron within the straits entered the road of mostil a town by malaga where with their ordnance they beat down part of the castle and had doubtless taken the town but that from granada there came soldiers to succour it yet they took their diverse ships and among them three or four from the west part of england two big english ships they drove ashore not past four leagues from malaga and after they got on shore also 
and burnt them and to this day they remain before malaga intercepting all ships that pass that way and absolutely prohibiting all trade into those parts of spain the other squadron was doing the same thing outside the straits and the spanish fleet was both too small in number and too cumbersome in build to attack them successfully yet if this year they safely return to algiers especially if they should take any of the fleet it is much to be feared that the king of spain's forces by sea will not be sufficient to restrain them hereafter so much sweetness they find by making prize of all christians whatsoever this dispatch shows that the corsairs had speedily mastered the new manner of navigation as might have been expected of a nation of sailors they had long been acquainted with the great galleasses of spain and venice a sort of compromise between the road galley and the sailing galleon for it was too heavy to depend wholly on its oars which by way of distinction were rowed under cover and its great latine sails were generally its motive power the galleys themselves moreover had sails though not square sails and the seaman who can sail a ship on latine sails soon learns the management of the square rig the engravings on pages five eleven one sixty five one ninety seven and two twenty seven sufficiently show the type of vessel that now again came into vogue and which was known as a galleon nave polaca tartana barcone caravel caramuzel etc according to its size and country the turkish caramuzel or tartan says furtenbach stands high out of the water is strong and swift and mounts eighteen or twenty guns and as many as sixty well-armed pirates it is a dangerous vessel to attack from its commanding height its guns can pour down so furious a fire upon a christian craft that the only alternative to surrender is positive extirpation if the enemy tries to sneak out of range below the level of fire the turks drop grenades from the upper decks and set the ship on fire and even if the christians succeeded in boarding they find themselves in a trap for though the ship's waist is indeed cleared of the enemy the hurricane decks at poop and prow command the boarding party and through loopholes in the bulwarks as good a cover as a trench a hail of grape pours from the guns and seizing their opportunity the turks rush furiously through the doors and take their opponents simultaneously in face and rear and then comes a busy time for skimeter and pike or when you are alongside if you see the caramuzel's mainsail being furled and something moving in the iron cage on the gabia or maintop know that a petard will soon be dropped in your midst from the main peak and probably a heavy stone or bomb from the opposite end of the long latine yard where it serves the double purpose of missile and counterpoise now is the time to keep your distance unless you would have a hole in your ship's bottom the corsairs indeed are very wily in attack and defence acquainted with many sorts of projectiles even submarine torpedoes which a diver will attach to the enemy's keel and they know how to serve their stern chasers with amazing accuracy and rapidity with their newly built galleons the raids of the corsairs became more extensive they were no longer bounded by the straits of gibraltar or a little outside they pushed their successes north and south in sixteen seventeen they passed the straits with eight well-armed vessels and bore down upon madeira where they landed eight hundred turks the scenes that followed 
were of the usual character. The whole island was laid waste, the churches pillaged, the people abused and enslaved. Twelve hundred men, women, and children were brought back to Algiers with much firing of guns and other signals of joy, in which the whole city joined. In 1627, Murad, a German renegade, took three Algerine ships as far north as Denmark and Iceland, whence he carried off four hundred, some say eight hundred, captives. And not to be outdone, his namesake, Murad Rees, a Fleming, in 1631, ravaged the English coasts, and passing over to Ireland, descended upon Baltimore, sacked the town, and bore away 237 prisoners, men, women, and children, even from the cradle. "'It was a piteous sight to see them exposed for sale at Algiers,' cries good father Dan. "'For then they parted the wife from the husband, and the father from the child. "'Then, say I, they sell the husband here, and the wife there, "'tearing from her arms the daughter whom she cannot hope to see ever again.' "'Many bystanders burst into tears as they saw the grief and despair of these poor Irish.' As before, but with better confidence, they pursue their favorite course in the Levant, and cruise across the Egyptian trade route, where are to be caught ships laden with the products of Cairo, and Sanaa, and Bombay, and lay too at the back of Cyprus to snare the Syrian and Persian goods that sail from Scandaroon. And so home, with a pleasant raid along the Italian coasts, touching perhaps at an island or two to pick up slaves and booty and thus to the mole of algiers and the welcome of their mates and this in spite of all the big ships of christendom quil ne cessant de troubler sans que tant de puissantes galeres et tant de bons navires que plusieurs princesses christians tenaient dans leur envoi leur donner la chaussée si ce ne sont les vassaux de malte ou de ligorne and since sixteen eighteen when the Janissaries first elected their own pasha, and practically ignored the authority of the port, the traditional fellowship with France, the sultan's ally, had fallen through, and French vessels now formed part of the corsair's quarry. Between 1628 and 1634, eighty French ships were captured, worth, according to the Reese's valuation, 4,752,000 livres, together with 1,331 slaves. The king of France must have regretted even the days when Barbarossa wintered at Toulon. So great was the plague of the sea rovers, and apparently so hopeless the attempt to put them down. End of Part 2, Chapter 17 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista